Hi, welcome to the Black Health Podcast. We are your hosts. I'm Paula and I'm joined by... Hey y'all, it's Khadija. Hey y'all, it's Mercy. What's up everybody? It's Matthew. Cool, cool. We got the gang all here. So our icebreaker, jump off, whatever question um, today is what movies or TV shows have y'all been watching lately? And what do you think about them? Were they good? Were they bad? Just, yeah, your review. So who would like to go first? I can start because I have a bad review. (laughs) So any, um, I'm talking about Halloween ends. You know, I love a good scary movie. I love some Michael Mm -hmm. Myers. You know, it's Halloween season, you know, October getting it popping. So I was a little, you know what I'm saying? It's my... I miss you, Paula, because you was the only one who watched scary movies with me. (laughs) 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 But, yeah, so, you know, okay, so I was already a little hesitant to watch Halloween Ends and stop listening. Well, Paula, skip this part, y'all, if you don't want no spoilers. But I was already hesitant to watch Halloween Ends because I thought the last Halloween movie was the last one. Was the last one. So I was very confused (laughs) as to why we were getting another one, but I was like, Okay, whatever. It's on Peacock, so at least I ain't got to spend no money on it. And they they really could have kept it. Because, first of all, Mike Myers wasn't in, like, 80% of the movie. <laughs> and then when he showed up, like, he was very pussy. Like, it was not, he was not giving what? Mike Myers. Like, he didn't hardly kill nobody. <laughs> like, he wasn't being, like, he wasn't, he wasn't giving Mike Myers. Is he just old? Is he, like, retired? I mean, yeah, kind of, sort of, because, like, he had been, like, living in, like, this sewer for a long time. And, like, (laughs) yeah, it was just really weird. Like, the story just didn't make sense. He was, like, living in this sewer. And so, like, no one had seen him for, like, all these years. And then this guy goes in there and sees him. And they do, like, this, like, weird eye contact situation. But Mike doesn't kill him. But then the guy goes out, like, steals Mike's mask off his face then goes out into the community and he starts killing folks. And they're like, he's got the same evil in his eyes that Mike Myers has. So I'm like, ooh, okay. New. Right. Uh, like a rebirth. Right. Yeah. I'm like, okay, so Mike is old, so he just passing the evil on. Okay, I can get with this. And he was doing some killing, and that was <laughs> cool. But then he got killed. And then Mike came back and was like, give me my mask back. And then I was like, okay, so now Mike about to start tearing shit up. But then Jamie Lee Curtis came through and, and like, you know, took Mm -hmm. care of it. And I thought it was going to be like a bigger, like, tussle between them. You know, I was hoping, my hope was that they was just going to kill each other and that was just going to be the end of it. Mm -hmm. Like, she dead, he dead. Everybody, everybody good now. And I don't think I've seen a single... (laughs) Halloween movie. Not a one? No. What? Not even the first one? No. He missed no. Wow. That is like historical. Right. <laughs> like 45 <laughs> years of movies. So this is a story about a man who kills people in a mask? Yes. Essentially. <laughs> but it's to not. Get the premise. So, why, why is he so angry? Well, it started when he was a, a youth. Okay. You know? Trauma. Trauma, indeed, mm-hmm. you know. Yeah. Traumatized. Wait, hold on. Speaking, speaking of trauma, have y'all seen the clips of Jamie Lee Curtis talking about the movie and how she says trauma? No. She says... Trauma uh, or something? Yeah. Like, 
like trauma, trauma. trauma. <laughs> like, trauma. <laughs> she keeps saying she really trauma, trauma, but she's saying it so weird. There's like a compilation of her for like press, like saying it. She's I've really trying that. to like, say Canadianly. Canadian. Tra- trauma. She really hinting at you. Mm-hmm. Anyway, continue on, on on the main plot. I mean, listen, <laughs> it was just. I was, it was not giving. They could have kept it like Mike's dead now. Maybe. I don't know. I feel like he dies at the end of every movie and he just like come back to life. But I think this time, like, I don't, if he come back from this, like, I don't know. Mm-hmm. I don't think he can come back from this. And then they killed his protege. So I'm like, so, and then they ended mm-hmm. the movie and she like, yeah, so anybody want to bake some pie? Like, bitch. Mm-hmm. <laughs> no. So in this movie, you actually root for Michael I'm Myers. I'm always rooting for Michael Myers. Interesting. Mm-hmm. You want him mm-hmm. to murder? Yes. Mm-hmm. Oh, definitely. Because, mm-hmm. I mean, most people he be murdering be assholes. Like, they and right. doesn't he not really kill black people? I ain't seen him kill a black person. Well, he killed a black... Well, the protege killed a black person. Oh, damn. But the black girl was taunting him, though. She was being kind of an asshole. So I was like... Mm-hmm. Well, girl, that's what you get. You should have left him alone because he wasn't bothering you. Like, she was, like, throwing, like, strawberry milk at him or something crazy. <laughs> Which was also, like, is this movie supposed to be happening in 2022? Because it was definitely still given 1980s. Yeah. Did they have strawberry milk in the 1980s? <laughs> no. <laughs> Like, just how, like, the aesthetic, like, how things look. Like, mm-hmm. it didn't really, it looked current, but then it didn't. I don't know, maybe if they were trying to get, like, small town current vibes. So maybe, you know, like, kids hang out at the gas station. All right. Maybe I'll watch. I'll watch Halloween. You got to watch the first one. Yeah, watch the first one. Homework. There you go. So, yes. Well, speaking... Zero out of ten, don't recommend. Oh, I feel you. I wasn't really planning to watch it because, yeah, just kind of the same reason. Like, I was like, I thought the last one was the last one. Right. Um... But yeah, now speaking of spooky season and not having anyone to watch scary movies with when I'm not with you, Mercy, mm. um, I watched Barbarian alone today. I heard it was really good. Yeah, I'm not sleeping ever again, so. Oh, damn. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, why did I choose to watch this movie alone? I had my eyes like closed, covered for so much of it. Oh, damn. <laughs> It was good. It was good. It was actually entertaining. I'll go back and, and rewatch it with my eyes open now that I know what happens. Mm-hmm. But it was definitely very stressful on the first watch. Um, it got kind of like, you know, like a lot of horror movies do. It, looked, it went a little strange at the end. Not strange, <laughs> but just like, you know, everything be happening at once. It's like, okay. But the buildup and all of that was really, really good. And what I liked about it was that it was set in Detroit. Oh, come on, Detroit. And I was like, oh, oh Detroit horror movie makes perfect sense because it is scary there. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's so cold in the <laughs> And I say that with love as a native Detroiter. <laughs> but um, yeah, it was like set in like, so basically like the first part of it is like this girl, she tries to check into her Airbnb and then it's a man there already. And so then she ends up like staying, her and the man share the Airbnb because he's like, oh, I also booked and he booked on another site, HomeAway or whatever. And she booked on Airbnb. So they were like double booked. And so it was like, oh, no, let's just share the place or whatever. Hell no. What? So that's how it starts. Oh. But no, keep watching. Keep watching. 
Um, I won't tell anymore just because, yeah, that's that's like how it starts. Mm-hmm. And that's in the trailer and everything too. Mm-hmm. So, but yeah, but um, but then like she sees too that like she's in a, a neighborhood with like all the houses, like literally all the other houses around them are like completely abandoned. Oh. So that part was like really like, damn, like, that's what it's like to be in Detroit. Because <laughs> like, you'll see like a bunch of abandoned houses. So yeah, it, it looks, yeah. I think it was shot in Detroit too because it, it looks like they were there. So yeah, like there was, theirs was like the only house that was like fit for occupation. The rest were like all boarded up and shit. Damn. So yeah, and then it went all different. It went a lot of different directions actually. So um, it was good. It was very good. And so like, watch it during the daytime. Yeah. Is what you're saying? What'd you say? You said watch it during the daytime. Yeah, okay. I mean, unless you want to be real scared, yeah, watch it at night. But um, I, I wouldn't. Mm, yeah, I was gonna say I like to sleep. <laughs> yeah, don't watch it alone like I did. <laughs> <laughs> and it was one of those things where like the monster and stuff becomes like they show it. I like that. Mm. I don't like when it's like a scary oh, thing and yeah. they keep like not showing it to you for yeah. real. <laughs> and that's like been like a new trend monster. lately like with these new scary movies like the illusion of the monster but we don't never see the monster mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. bitch mm-hmm. let me be scared let me see that thing mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah I've also been watching House of the Dragons them dragons um, <laughs> are y'all watching Game it? Of Thrones. yes, yes. No. Game of Thrones 2 no Khadija do you plan to watch it? Um, I watched the first episode. I didn't watch um, Game of Thrones. You don't have the to. OG. You don't. I could just jump in. No, that you is don't remember. have to. But I will say, I think Game of Thrones is better. Okay, I will think about it. I know there's, <laughs> there's. I thought the first episode was a lot, but I'll think about it. Yeah, the whole the whole thing is a lot. <laughs> the whole thing, a lot of incest, a lot of murder. I was gonna say, yeah, but it's great. Okay, love it. I've become desensitized to the incest. <laughs> yeah, me too. So that part didn't really bother me. I was like, okay, yeah, no, that makes sense. She should marry her uncle. Right, they a much better pair. <laughs> right, they get along much better. <laughs> and it's like I yeah. mean, like because you've seen, if you have seen Game of Thrones, you know that the Targaryens are like that's their thing. They love those like, yeah. yeah. I also I saw in the first episode there were some some black people. Yes. With, oh yes. The the high high yellow hair. Yes. <laughs> yes. Yes. Yeah. There are yes. some Negroes in this one. Mm-hmm. Okay. Mm-hmm. African Valerians. Yes. <laughs> um. <laughs> some but... Caribbean Valerians. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Right, they definitely locked up. Right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but um, yeah, I've been enjoying it. I well, I enjoyed it. I enjoyed the season. I like I said, really I do good. still I thought so too. Yeah. I'm really I do sad. still think Game of Thrones is like the superior show so far, but I think, yeah. We'll see. We'll see how this how what happens. Yeah. Yeah. I'm sad we have to wait like two years for season two because like what the hell am I supposed to do? Read the books, maybe? I don't know watch something else no yeah i want i want I'm to know what happens books. you can do like i want to see what like rainier is gonna do those fanfics that's what you should do you should write a fan fiction right write my own <laughs> continuation mm-hmm. <laughs> i mean if i write my own continuation right now just about to pull up 
with the dragons and just burn it all down. Dracarys everywhere. I'd like to see it. Mm-hmm. Draw it mm-hmm. out. Okay. Yeah, I'm with Damon. Like, get them other dragons right. that are out there that don't have no writers. Put mm-hmm. that one little black girl. Uh, you need to get a dragon, sis. Right. Uh, <laughs> dragon. <laughs> <up>. <laughs> yeah. They can't control yeah. the dragons. That's the thing. Yep. As we've seen. Oh, it's a big. No, risk. those writers were young. Amen and. Luke are young. That's their problem. So they just needed more practice. But Viserys had said <laughs> that you cannot control them beasts, man. That's true. That's true. That was a that was a fluke, though. For the most part, they can control them. <laughs> Listen. <laughs> no, but the issue, though, ass. is going to be trying to kill uh, Aemon because he got that big-ass dragon, which, mm-hmm. as we saw, is huge. So Yeah, they are big as It's going to take, like, 20 old. dragons to kill that dragon. <laughs> and I guess it makes sense now, like, when you fast forward to, like, Game of Thrones, like, why there were no more dragons. Because clearly, yes, all these dragons about to get fucked up. Oh, interesting. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, not for sure. Little but dragon um, war. The, yep. I, honestly, the one thing that made me, my stomach turn the most, like, outside of the incest, all that stuff, it was, like, that fucking foot fetish scene. Oh, I was like, oh, yeah. no. Oh. That was, that was <laughs> oh, a lot for me. Like, oh. Yeah. Oh, yeah, because you hate feet, too. Oh, yeah. yeah. It was just, ooh. Especially during the age, the ancient times. Mm-hmm. I know. She had nice feet, though. Yeah, feet. Ugh. We didn't smell them, though. We just saw them. Yeah. I don't know how they smell, but... <laughs> <laughs> but my man, he, he didn't have fully functioning feet, so he was, like, into it. Yeah. He was like, ooh. <laughs> I like that. <laughs> Working ankles. <laughs> It was so gross. Not that, sitting there jacking off. I was like, Ugh. right. <laughs> the childbearing scenes, childbirthing scenes for me were the ones like, oh, there, yeah. there were a lot of them. That, in it the was. first episode, I saw that. Yeah, it was a lot and of childbirthing. Because that was the theme. The theme the was how childbirth is a battlefield for women. It oh. is. And my God, I'm like, who? Who today? Do I want to do that? Yeah, I like I like how we kind of getting into a little bit more like the sexism and all of that kind of stuff. Because mm-hmm. you already see Rhaenyra being a bit more, I don't know, like bringing, like she brought the little black girls to the table mm-hmm. in the decision making and stuff. So mm-hmm. yeah. And yeah. all the men are just like, burn it all down. Right. And the women are being reasonable, <laughs> trying to like trying to, find yeah, other ways. Trying to communicate. Mm-hmm. Even though Allison, no, she need her ass beat. Show, sure, dude. He was not talking about Aegon, your son. He and didn't she say nothing know about that. that. You delusional <laughs> bitch. Right. <laughs> you know good and damn well that what he said didn't make no damn sense to you. Uh, yes, my king. Girl, shut the. F- You're just looking for I, a reason. I understood. I understand, yeah. king. No, you don't. <laughs> That's why I made me babbling. Right. And I was like, he was <laughs> off the freaking milk of the poppy. My man was serious. Man, he went out bad, Sad, bro. I was just really surprised he lived so long because he was like literally decomposing. Yeah, man. From the from the throne, every episode the throne I thought killed was killed him. Yeah, man. Like it's a good show, Khadija. You should watch it. Okay. Mm-hmm. My mom yeah. said she couldn't watch Game of Thrones because of the way they treat women, but you should watch it. My mama loved Game of Thrones and them dragons. Okay. What you been watching? I've been watching something a little more lighthearted. <laughs> I've been watching Love is Blind season three, mm. episodes one through four. 
Oh, you haven't seen the new ones that just dropped? No, not yet. Um, what is Love is Blind? Yeah, so it's a it's one of Netflix's first dating series. So Netflix was trying to get into like reality TV. Um, it's similar to like a Married at First Sight, 90 Day Fiance, like those type of shows where you get married pretty pretty expeditiously. Do they, do they set you up with something or are you like someone? Or so you it's like speed dating. Okay. It starts with speed dating. They're in these pods, but the they key is the you. blind part. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so they're in these pods, but they can't see the other person. So they're just talking and trying to build natural connections without knowing the person. Yeah. If, if you know, they're their type, they're, they're their race, ethnicity. No comment. <laughs> I do feel like if I was on a show like that, can you I, ask? Can you ask about? You can. Features. You race? can, but they discourage that. Mm-hmm. But if I were, if I heard a black person, I think I would know. Maybe. I think I would know. I feel like there's some questions you can ask to like suss out. Right. I think. Yeah. It's like you. <laughs> it, it, no. It's <laughs> What did your grandma used to cook? Yeah, it's like some cultural stuff. But yeah, <laughs> and then... Money? And then, yeah, so they're speed dating for a few days, looking for the one. And if they find someone they're, they're digging, then they propose. Mm-hmm. Propose marriage. <laughs> to get married? Yes. Yes, this is marriage. Ridiculous. I really wish I could see Matthew's face. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and then you get to see the person after you propose. It's really dramatic. They have mm-hmm. you like behind a door and then they open it and then you run up to the person and they get on one knee and then mm-hmm. you have to live with the person for a few weeks to kind of see if y'all actually vibe and then it's the wedding day and then you could say you want to get married or leave them at the altar. But then you also meet the other couples. Mm-hmm. So Ooh, then you the other people you dated. Arrival. Like, that's damn, where the I ca- almost yeah. picked you, but I didn't. That's where the chaos. What if no occurs. one picks you? Then you go home. Then you go home. <laughs> yeah, so it, they somehow magically always end up with like five or six, five or six couples. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, this season is good. It's pretty spicy. It's yeah. more dramatic than last season, for sure. You gotta watch the the new episode yeah. that just dropped. <laughs> Is this a season that has that Asian man who was fake crying? Yes. yes. Okay. <laughs> in the confe- in the com- uh, confessional, this man he got turned down for his, his he proposed to a girl. She said no, and so in the confessional, he's like staring at the camera and he starts like fake crying. Like he has eye drops. Yeah, that was so weird. And he tries to fake cry. And he's like, you're going to cut this out, right? To the producer. And they're like, yeah, we're going to cut it out. <laughs> and of course, they don't cut it out. <laughs> so you see him put these guys out there. He's trying, he's trying to get him a gig. <laughs> it was very dramatic. Mm. But Matthew, what have you been watching? I've been watching uh, Andor on Disney+. Plus. It, uh, it's a part of the Star Wars. Oh universe i don't know um but yeah it's about i mean typically what star wars is always about it's about the rebel forces trying to beat the empire mm. um and this one is no different cassian andor is a 
essentially a refugee um, mm-hmm. turns into a little thief slash fighter um, and is helping and serving as a mercenary, helping this group um, steal some money from, from the Empire. And that's as far as I've gotten. So. Would it steal yeah, it's money a good show. from the Empire? I like Star Wars. Early on in the pandemic, I binge-watched all the Star Wars stuff. Oh, wow. Um, like Chronological order. Yeah. Well, oh. I watched them in timeline order. Okay. Um, the prequels and all yeah, that. Yeah, the prequels first. And then now there's shows, different movies, or like character-specific shows. Um, Got them a little multiverse happening over there. Yeah, no, it's huge. It's a, a very large franchise. So, what's, what's the difference between Star Wars and Star Trek? Two totally different worlds. Mm-hmm. But they're both intergalactic, right? They're both in in space. <laughs> <laughs> That's my name. Um, yeah. Um, that's what that's what I've been doing. Okay, more wholesome. <laughs> you know, it. Disney Plus. Stay family friendly over here. <clears throat> okay, we want to reference the conversation. Can y'all hear me before? Yes. Okay, good. I'm having load shedding, so. Uh oh. <laughs> Tell the people what out, load but... shedding is. Um, it is when the South African government or the, um, in collaboration with the electricity company, <laughs> just have like rolling blackouts and they schedule it and you can download an app that'll tell you when it's going to happen to you. But, um, and they have different like stages. So it'll be mm. like, oh, you're in stage four load shedding this week. That's what the app will tell you. And so that means that you're going to get load shedding like two times a day. Oh, dang. And then you got to like check. But I mean, it could go, I think it goes up to like fucking like stage eight or something crazy oh, like shit. that. And you can have load shedding like four times a day. And I think the stages also correspond to like when you get you get low shedding so yeah so like i've been getting it at like 6 p.m to 8 30 it's like two and a half hours each time mm. oh yeah but sometimes it can be more sometimes i think it can be three hours or four hours i think that also depends on the stage but usually it's like two and a half hours each time and then they like dispersed throughout the day um definitely my least favorite is when they do it during the week at like 6 a.m. to 8.30 a.m. It's like, this is mm. prime. I got to go to work time. Right. And then, you know, the hot, the hot water be out when the, oh. it's, you know, when the power isn't on. So it's like, you want to take a cold shower and go to work? Like, oh, no. Nah. That's a bad day right there. Right. Anyway, but it's fine. I'm connected to my hotspot, so. Hey, shout out to technology. And my, my computer is all charged up. <laughs> All right, but yeah, are we done? Everybody said what they were watching? hmm Yes. Cool. Okay, then let's go into our topic for today. We're going to be discussing environmental racism. Um, and I'll pass it to Khadija to kind of give us an intro into that. Yeah. Um, so we wanted to do some level setting at first around what environmental racism is, what environmental justice is, and then talk about some um, contemporary topics related to environmental racism and health. 
So environmental racism is a form of structural racism in which communities of color are disproportionately exposed to environmental health hazards like toxic waste and standing water and air pollution. Well, we're conversely um, stripped of opportunities and access to healthy built and natural environments like fresh water and clean air and healthy food ways and just places to safely live and age. Environmental racism is directly related to health and directly negatively impacts our health and well-being. Um, it increases our risk of cancer, which um, I think one of y'all going to talk about a contemporary example of that. Um, it makes us more susceptible to chronic illnesses like asthma, and it increases our vulnerability to catastrophic climate events like hurricanes um, and other natural disasters. And to counter environmental racism, communities of color um, in the U.S. and across the globe have been for as long as time, <laughs> engaged in environmental justice movements to really mobilize the challenge environmental racism's um, disproportionate burden on communities of color and really fight for more um, equitable, safe living spaces and communities. So um, I think this topic is super relevant today. And um, we have a few examples of um, kind of contemporary environmental racism and health topics. Um, the first one we wanted to talk about is the Jackson water crisis in Jackson, Mississippi. So just a recap of what happened. Um, so the crisis got nat national attention in August, but this has been an issue in Jackson that's been happening for decades. So Jackson's water system has been failing due to disinvestment um, for years. Um, and actually in 2021, at the beginning um, in February, Jackson experienced a system-wide failure due to an extreme weather event, climate catastrophe, <laughs> that led to many residents not having water for weeks. So this has already occurred um, the year prior. And then um, in July, most recently, mid-July, residents were put under a boil water advisory. And then in late August of 2022, a historic rainfall had caused the Pearl River, which is surrounding Jackson, um, to overwhelm um, the dilapidated wa water system in the city. Um, and by the end of August, the city's water treatment plant had failed. So this left the majority of the city without clean water for their homes, for businesses, um, for schools, for emergency um, uh, services. And the water pressure wasn't restored again until September 5th but they were on an ongoing boil water advisory until uh, September 15th. So overall, this was about a seven-week period where residents did not have clean water. That's so long. Yeah. Right. <laughs> um, especially because this had happened literally the year before as well. Um, so we wanted to like contextualize this, um, and there have been a lot of really 
insightful reports about um, the context in Jackson and why this happened, um, because this has not happened out of um, thin air. This is something that's been building up um, due to decades of disinvestment in infrastructure by the local, state, and federal governments. Um, that is classic, like, structural racism. Um, so Jackson is currently majority Black. Um, they went through a period of um, white flight for a few decades um, that left the city 80% Black um, residents. Um, and like we see with a lot of cities and neighborhoods that experience white flight or that are um, just predominantly Black, um, they, um, these neighborhoods, these cities tend to not receive the necessary resources for adequate infrastructure, um, as well as not receiving adequate government response upon environmental crises. Um, so we saw this with Flint and the water crisis in Michigan. We saw this with New Orleans and Hurricane Katrina. Um, so yeah, this is something that we've seen repeatedly across predominantly Black neighborhoods and cities. And this is particularly um, a threat and it's only going to be more of a threat because of climate change and global warming and just increasing climate catastrophes on top of increasingly dilapidated infrastructure in our cities. Um, so yeah, we're um, our Black neighborhoods and cities are just more vulnerable to events like this reoccurring. Um, and yeah, there's been um, pushback to the environmental racism that um, Jackson residents have been experiencing. So um, in the South broadly and in Mississippi and Jackson specifically, there's been um, lots of grad grassroots activations of Black organizers and community-based organizations that have peeps that um, this white water um, crisis was like an issue for years and have been really fighting for climate justice. Um, and then at the federal level, um, a few days ago, I think, like very recently, the EPA actually opened up an investigation into the state government in Mississippi. Um, Busy. Yeah, just <laughs> around a violation of the Civil Rights Act um, because of the deprivation deprivation of a predominantly Black city um, of funds to repair a broken water system. Um, and this was triggered by the NAACP um, who filed a complaint. Um, so there's, there's movement, there's pushback to this, but um, just another example of lots of racism. Because yeah, this stuff was messed up for like years and mm -hmm. they just were like not doing anything. Like, I mean, it's, it's like, yeah, you like know, you people said, don't need water. Like, yeah. <laughs> it doesn't come out of thin air. Mm -hmm. Like, going on for a long time, a lot of neglect mm -hmm. due to, and um, all this going on while that one man, and I mean, not the one, he's not one man working alone, but Brett. Like, I don't know what I'm talking yeah, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. been over there stealing money from the government. Mm -hmm. Right. Those things are intertwined. Absolutely. Yeah, and um, uh, Mississippi's leadership um, 
not unsimilar to the rest of the Deep South. Um, their state-level le- leadership has been white, conservative men <laughs> right? Um, forever. Mm-hmm. And so it's not a coincidence that this kind of Black hub within um, a state that um, is kind of controlled by white conservative folks are experiencing this. Because, um, yeah, we've seen this in other predominantly Black spaces as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that, um, you know, reading just now that that Office of Civil Rights mm-hmm. uh, sort of environmental justice is a new office within the it EPA. It is, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, oh. To address issues just like this, right, where you mm-hmm. have... Um, a clear violation of civil rights and mm-hmm. the government's responsibility to provide equal and adequate um, access to public facilities and public safety. Um, in this in this case, um, water filtration, um, but it was not prioritized in an African American neighborhood. So, because mm-hmm. um, they don't care. Yeah, but it's it's cool to see um, a government response. Um, to an issue that we know is widely happening across the United States, and it's nice to see the government doing things for good. But we'll we'll see what happens. Yeah, we'll yeah. we'll see how this manifests. I mean, like hopefully, you know, um, the government is also very very painfully slow. Yeah, I am also hoping this big infrastructure act that was passed by the Biden administration can really trickle down to these black communities that have like dilapidated infrastructure. Like, I know infrastructure is such, like, a boring topic, but it's it's everything. everything. Like, it's so important. Literally and everything. Mm -hmm. We lost Paul. No, I'm still here. (laughs) (laughs) Paul's ghost. (laughs) Still here. I I did get lost a couple times before this, but but yeah, just to add on to like what you were saying, um, Khadija, I actually, I found this article that was talking about some of like the history of the environmental justice movement mm-hmm. that I found to be very interesting. And I was like, of course, it was niggas who started this. Yeah, of course it was. We do, we have to do everything. <laughs> Literally. <laughs> so much. But, um, and I really like uplifting stories of like black activism or like mm-hmm. little known black activism. Cause like, although, you know, like Martin Luther King, Malcolm X, very, very important figures, they weren't the only ones, mm-hmm. um, you know, and so we shouldn't stop with our like history and our historical knowledge just at those uh, people. Um, or even just like at the civil rights movement, there were other like intersecting movements going on too. Mm-hmm. So, um, so yeah, so there was a reverend, two reverends, um, Leon White and Benjamin Chavez Jr. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're two black men and they're some of the leading um, forces in the birth of the environmental justice movement. So it starts in the late 1970s. Um, there were a group of residents in North Carolina. They formed what's what was called the Warren County Citizens Concerned Group, uh, WCCC. Um, and they were protesting the state um, for trying to put a landfill landfill in their county mm. um, for the disposal of, I'm going to try to say this word, polychlorinated 
biphenyls, mm-hmm. otherwise known Sounds as right. PCBs. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's a, it's a toxic chemical <laughs> substance whose uh, the production was banned by Congress actually in 1979. Wow. Um, so yeah, so it's being banned by Congress to even make, but then they're trying to dump it. <laughs> Of course. In a black neighborhood. Yeah. So so they were like, no, uh, we're, we don't want to do that. And so, it, yeah, in this county, the population was roughly 62% black. No other county in the state had a higher percentage of black residents. Um, and yeah, and it was also highly impoverished county as well. Mm. And then, so yeah, the, the placement of the landfill um, was what they were they start to call it um, an example of environmental racism and Reverend Chavez coined that term. And so in 1982, trucks carrying PCB uh, contaminated soil. They drove into Warren County, uh, but then they were met by hundreds of protesters who laid down on the highway to prevent their arrival. Oh, wow. And um, yeah, like so 55 protesters were arrested on the first day. But the protests lasted six weeks. Um, they were covered by national media. And by the end, 523 arrests had actually been made. And so um, the two reverends, they worked for the United Church of Christ, UCC. And so the UCC created a commission for racial justice. Um, and at different points, that commission for racial justice was led by Reverend Wright. Um, Reverend White and Reverend Chavez. Um, and so in 1987, the, the UCC Commission for Racial Justice issued its landmark um, report called Toxic Waste and Race in the United States. And that study actually found that um, race was like the top variable associated with the location of a toxic waste facility. Mm. So that's um, even over like income um, of, a, of a place. So um, yeah, majority black place was most likely to have um, toxic waste. Um, and then they found that three out of five black and Hispanic Americans lived in a community that housed what the EPA called an uncontrolled toxic waste site, um, which is a closed or abandoned site that posted a threat to human health and the environment. Yeah, so um, quick little crash course into the history of environmental justice, environmental racism, mm-hmm. um, where we got those terms from. They came from Black people. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> so, you know, don't be over here trying to say that's some white people stuff. Like, no, this came from us. We've been fighting, like Khadija said, we've been fighting for this. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, we need to keep continuing. And I think it's interesting, like, what did you say this this new committee or whatever that just got started oh, the from the EPA. EPA. The EPA. Mm-hmm. Yeah, when this report came out in 1987. Right. And the EPA was aware of it. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. government right. was slow. There, and racist. <laughs> Hello, there it is. <laughs> Keyword. So, racist. And yeah, thanks for sharing that, Paula. And like, just kind of, again, in the same vein to what Khadija was talking about earlier, um, just another example of environmental racism in the U.S. Um, Specifically, there is this place that is actually called 
Cancer Alley. And it is in, um, so Cancer Alley is a well-known environmental sacrifice zone. And a sacrifice zone is a geographical area that has been contaminated by dangerous chemical pollution in St. James Parish in Louisiana. And that area is like an 85-mile stretch of land that's along the Mississippi River between Baton Rouge and New Orleans. And it contains over 150 petrochemical plants and refineries. And so this land um, is predominantly Black. Um, A lot of slaves ended up settling here and like starting um, their new lives there at post-slavery. And that area now accounts for about 25% of all of the petrochemical production in the United States. And Right. And the residents who live there are living in one of the most heavily polluted areas in like all of the U.S. And so they keep putting more petrochemical plants there. Um, And so it's polluted the surrounding water and the air and um, about 48% of the population there is African-American. So now all of these African-American residents are subjected to cancers, respiratory diseases, and a slew of other health problems. Um, the There are about seven major plants in this area, um, and people who live, like, closest to it um, have, like, a 1 in 210 lifetime cancer risk, which is 47 times the EPA's acceptable risk. So, like, on average, it's, like, 1 in, like, 100,000. And Mm. this area is like one in 210. Like if you live within like certain miles um, near one of these plants. Um, And the interesting thing also about it, like even though a lot of black people live in the area, like only about 15% of people of African-Americans actually are employed by any of these plants as well. So Mm. they're just like polluting their areas and then leaving and going to their non-polluted areas. Um, and so, again, you know, the um, EPA has recently um, launched a civil rights investigation into the Louisiana Health and Environmental Departments, and they found evidence that official actions, that these actions could be harming the Black communities and exposing these communities to these large amounts of harmful pollution. And so recently, um, this past January, President Biden signed an executive order on protecting public health and the environment and restoring science to tackle the climate crisis. And people are hopeful because while he was signing this order, he did specifically cite Cancer Alley and commented that environmental justice will be at the center of all we do when it comes to addressing the disproportionate health and environmental and economic impacts on communities of color. But there are over like a thousand of these types of communities and a lot of them are in predominantly black communities or in communities that are impoverished. Mm -hmm. So a lot of them are in the South or like kind of like in like the West Virginia, like Pennsylvania area, like in the outskirts. And so it's just really like y'all are like putting black people around like these, like, like, and I mean, there's schools, like there's elementary schools that are like down the street from these plants and like middle school. So it's like, these kids are like, they don't even have a chance. Like, Mm -hmm. you know, and it's like, you know, like you see like asthma and 
eczema and like all these other type of like health conditions that come from being exposed to just like all these like chemical pollutants in the air and in their water. And it's got to be in the dirt and, you know, just like everything because mm-hmm. you can't escape. And then, you know, they're targeting the companies and the companies are like, oh, well, we've reduced our emissions and we've been changing our processes. But I mean, at this point, they've been polluting the air and the water for so long. Like, it doesn't matter if you're reducing emissions now because, like, how do you undo what's been done? And even even so, like, what is the solution here, right? Right. We're not going to, we're a long ways away from stopping to produce uh, sort of these petrochemicals to refine uh, things that are coming out of the earth um, and transferring to a different type of power source. Um, we're along, we can't force these people to move. Like right. That would be unethical as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it's just really hard um, to think through a, a sustainable solution to this um, other than sort of, you know, transforming the energy industry. Mm-hmm. Um, but in the short term, you know, other than ensuring that these folks have, they should have free health care. They should have yeah. a, a number of different protections, um, but literally their neighborhood them literally um, so it's sad to see mm-hmm. um i think it's going to take like a radical shift yeah um because the, the companies make so much money they don't care exactly that's all but that's the thing like mm-hmm. trying to even shift it it's like like one of the companies is dupont like they're huge like mm-hmm. they're not so much money so much money they don't care they're like i mean we reduced emissions like yeah. they think that's enough <laughs> yeah and that's why um I feel like people don't necessarily think about environmental racism kind of intersecting with capitalism and racial capitalism, but so many of these cases, um, particularly when it comes to communities of color being in dis- um, like closer proximity to these industrial plants, like this is racial capitalism. Like, I also think about just like our agricultural industry and pesticides and how so many migrant workers are regularly exposed like every day in their work site um, to these pesticides and all these really harmful chemicals. Um, And even like, I've never heard of an environmental sacrifice zone, but that is so damning. Right. Like, (laughs) Like, that's literally like saying that these, you know, community of color are sacrificial. Like, yeah. they are disposable. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Should be called a human sacrifice zone. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But I feel like there's stuff that, that that can be done, like, in the short term, even. Like, like you were saying, Matthew, like, definitely offering a universal health care um, to everybody, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, but they need to be, like, regulating these mm-hmm. corporations and stuff that mm-hmm. open these plants and these landfills and whatever. Um, Because I was reading this other article um, about how it's cheaper for um, a corporation to pollute communities of color than in white communities. And that there's been research that shows that um, if a corporation has violated like environmental laws, then the corporation is fine. The fines tend to be lower in Mm. black communities and poor communities. Um, than mm. in white communities. And so obviously corporations, they are aware of that difference mm-hmm. and they right. choose then to, to be in these, you know, 
play fast with the rules and stuff in certain communities than others. And, and you know, even um, opening those sites in certain communities mm-hmm. because they know if they do get fined, it'll be lower. And it just creates this kind of like vicious cycle because then um, the land value of like the homes and things near these landfills and factories decreases. So then more corporations come mm. um, into the area yeah, they're all the kind of like, stuff. that's also part of the problem, which makes, now that you say that, it makes sense. Because like ProPublica has like this really like cool map that they have of like all of the areas. And most of the time these mm. areas are like that because there's just such a high concentration of these plants in mm-hmm. the same space. So now yeah. that you say that it's cheaper for them and all this other stuff, like it makes sense why they all decided like, oh, we're going to put all yeah, of our plants right to here together. Areas. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Like that could be regulated. That could be broken up. I mean, yeah, obviously, like you said, Matthew, I agree. Like the the long-term sustainable strategy is to just kind of, you know, totally rethink how we get energy and all the things that we do related to climate. Like that's a part of the whole um, larger conversation about climate change and what all these industries need to be doing and what we need to be phasing out using more um, clean energies and things like that. But um, in, in the short term, yeah, they could be breaking up where all these um, industries are located, finding them mm-hmm. equal amounts, at least, you know, amounts that are on parity with white neighborhoods, mm-hmm. just different things like that. And like a um, lot of them are like on water. So it's like they're Mm. set up on water so they're literally polluting their water because they're just dumping mm. their waste into mm-hmm. these rivers, lakes, whatever, the Gulf. So it's just like, y'all know what they're doing. They've been doing it and y'all are just like letting them. Yeah, I think that's just, I'm just pessimistic that we'll ever tell them to stop, right? Oh, yeah. Like, I, I don't think that we're not incentivized as a country like our values aren't set up in a way to really value. Yeah, we value, like Kadir said, we value money over people, right? Yeah. And so um, these are huge profit-driven and it's a huge profit-driven industry. They currently exist. Um, and environmental justice advocates have been speaking up about it. Um, but they're not going to like relocate um, this to a white neighborhood. Because right. um, they, wouldn't, they wouldn't allow it, first of all. Yeah. yeah. And so it'd be, mm-hmm. it'd have to shut down, um, I think would be, would be the best solution. But yeah. Coming soon. Coming soon to a country yeah. near you. Yeah, that's what they're going to do. Outsource it. Okay. Yeah. I was going to say, <laughs> it's the whole, this is a global issue too. Mm-hmm. And the Western world has been wreaking havoc on dominant black and brown countries forever as well in terms of dumping all of our stuff. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And that was something else um, that I did want to bring up is just how this is a global issue mm-hmm. and you see the same outlines like um, with glo- in, in global racism with this issue. So like what's called the global north, so countries like the US and UK, they're responsible for 92% of global emissions. And the U.S. is responsible for 40% alone. Wow. Um, and it's the countries in the global south that are and will continue to suffer the most from the impacts of climate change. We've seen it recently with all this flooding um, in Bangladesh and mm-hmm. India. There were like 
millions of people, like 9 million people affected and um, 300 killed. Um, but I'm sure that number is, could be adjusted if you depended on how you define killed by a flood. Mm-hmm. Um, because all of the, the fallout effects, you know, um, have led to deaths of, as well. So lots of people being displaced from their homes, becoming basically climate refugees, mm-hmm. um, having their farms, their sources of income destroyed. Um, yeah, I was listening to a podcast like some weeks back about the the floods in Bangladesh. And I like actually, like I started, I teared up because it was like they were interviewing um, this family and like this, this, you know, young girl who had children, young woman who had children. But like, I don't know, it was just like the whole story was just so sad. And just the way that like she had been displaced from her home, didn't have food to eat, was like talking about, you know, trying to find a way for her children. And, you know, obviously she's not working. The kids aren't going to school. Just like, the, you know, everything in their lives is just totally disrupted at this point. And you're like navigating, like it, like it was so much of the country was like underwater. Um, mm-hmm. And people were like, literally like what used to be a community is now a lake, basically. So um, like, it's just, it was just really rough to listen to. Oh, and they were also the part that made me like so sad was that they were talking about how like, Malaria is now going to be mm. horrible, mm-hmm. and you know, children like the children are the main um, are the biggest risk of dying from malaria because their immune systems aren't built up mm-hmm. yet enough to deal with it. Um, and so they're saying, like, with all the the water from the floods, all the standing water, that mm-hmm. the mosquitoes are going to be out of control, and malaria is going to be crazy. So that's what I mean about like, you know, how many deaths can you actually um, attribute to these floods? It's probably way more than 300. Right. Um, just thinking about all of the, the little kids, the people that'll be lost um, just due to this, you know, all these fallout effects. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, and you just see it. You see it in like the built environment and the natural environment of how like um, these impacts. So like, you know, I see it even around me where I live um, in Johannesburg. Like, I live in a in one of those areas that's like right next to a township, basically. Mm-hmm. And so, whenever I'm driving like home from work and everything, I um, on the highway like I see. And sometimes I, I do drive through the township. It's a township called Alexandria or Alex, and um, and like basically like so much of it like like people's houses are right next to the highway. And I think about those people all the time and like noise pollution, Mm -hmm. um, air pollution with all the cars, things like that. And like, I mean, like literally like (laughs) their house is on the highway and like the, and like the, you know, um, what do you call them? Like, um, like makeshift housing, basically, you know, it's not like a, a a sturdy structure. It's just like, um, like Mm -hmm. shacks basically of metal together and and this this township is huge like you can look out and just see nothing but township like yeah it's like it's a huge township and it's just like I don't know it just makes me it also just makes me so sad mm-hmm. and then I was oh I was talking to someone recently about um like the townships in South Africa and basically you know townships were created as ghettos where they herded black people um, during apartheid. So like, yeah, so like, um, 
Black people still live there, even though apartheid is is over. I mean, similar in the U.S., like that residential segregation, you still mm-hmm. see like people living there. And so they're still like, you know, dealing with the effects of that. And um, I was talking to a South African recently and we just got into a conversation about how like there's no like green spaces in townships. Like you don't see trees in the township. It's just mm-hmm. it's dirt, metal shacks and cars and dangerous places, not a lot of lights, you know, all that kind of thing that, you know, that just whole environment that will then lead to like a lot of issues like pollution and poor air quality, poor water quality, of course, um, but then also violence and just, you know, mental health effects of living in an environment like that. Um, Yeah. So I just, I see it every day here in South Africa. So it's just like, yeah, this is just like a, a global problem in like these governments that are just failing people, not doing anything about these problems. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And even I think like a lot of people, when they think about green spaces and trees and all that, like parks, stuff like that, like they think about just places to safely like walk or exercise, all that stuff. But with global warming, <laughs> um, like trees, Trees are so cool. Trees provide a lot of shade and literally like cool an area. So places that don't have like trees are like several degrees hotter. Um, and it's just going to get like more and more dangerous as like, um, you know, like heat waves and just the globe like warms up. Um, not having like trees and shade to um, help regulate the increases in temperature is going to be very, very dangerous. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the effects of sort of a increasingly hot environment, mm-hmm. um, humidity, all of the, you know, you talk about sort of industry and the impact on the community, but, you know, also impact on a global scale. You know, we've seen increasingly uh, more dangerous storms recently. Mm-hmm. Uh, thinking about hurricanes, thinking about the the flooding in Bangladesh, um, and just how that has an impact on communities. I think most recently we think about uh, Hurricane Ian, uh, which hit which hit Florida, mm-hmm. um, and uh, you know came up the coast. Actually hit you know Georgia, South Carolina as well. Um, but you know I think what we see is that. Um, as Khadija mentioned earlier, that, you know, a lot of the infrastructure development mm-hmm. hasn't taken place um, in Black communities, um, prioritizing white communities. So these low-income, sometimes they're just Black communities, are hit a, a lot more harder, right? They have increased vulnerability um, due to the lack of infrastructure or the, I think, shanty house potentially, or mm-hmm. um, just not having an adequate safe housing. And so when a natural disaster hits like a hurricane, um, one, they can't flee because they don't have anywhere to go. Mm-hmm. And then two, um, their houses um, are more likely to be destroyed. Uh, Flooding is more likely to happen in their neighborhood. They're more likely to live in a flood zone where there will be high levels of water. Um, so while a lot of Black people aren't at increased risk for experiencing um, natural disasters, they are at increased vulnerability when a natural disaster does hit that they'll have worse outcomes in the community around them. And so it's really interesting yes. to think through um, how once a natural disaster happens, 
then, you know, the responsibility of our governments, uh, both local and federal government, to respond, uh, to restore power, to get water back running, to provide resources. Um, and what the folks in Florida have been, were saying sort of after Hurricane Ian was that uh, they weren't given sort of equal treatment and response uh, to um, to get access to water, to get access to uh, the relief centers. Mm-hmm. Uh, they were prioritizing white white communities, and that it surprise, and that was just surprise. sort of regular, right? They knew that mm-hmm. their power was going to be last to come on, their mm-hmm. water was going to be last to come on, mm-hmm. uh, because those communities experienced storms like that relatively frequently. Um, and so, it was just really interesting to think through not only being um, increasingly vulnerable, but having um, a delayed response. And mm-hmm. you mentioned um, Hurricane Katrina. Mm-hmm. Um, and I hate to talk about Kanye, but, um, <laughs> you know, as <laughs> his famous words with George Bush doesn't care about Black people, um, because that response was so delayed, right? Mm-hmm. We saw people mm-hmm. sitting on their roofs. We saw, we saw people not getting warm. I mean, um, the fact that even still now, parts of New Orleans still look like Katrina just happened. Right. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, and so the response is then not prioritized in our community. Um, and we see that. Um, we saw that in Florida, and, and that's been the case. And, you know, not even locally with the responsibility of your, your local government to come in, you know, long term as, you know, if you have insurance or you've been in a, a natural disaster, there are resources that you can pull down from FEMA mm-hmm. um, to, you know, reestablish yourself, reestablish your life. And we see that Black people uh, get denied more often than white people um, for those sort mm-hmm. of FEMA checks, um, which is ridiculous, right? And, and, you know, we see that even, you know, sort of on a macro level that people that live in Black communities get denied um, mm-hmm. more often than, than folks that live in white communities. So, you know, it's a so and that's how systematic racism works right it it creates barriers for you to access resources that are easily accessible by other people um and more often than not white people high and high high income folks and so it's a just a pattern that we've seen and that research has shown on how even when uh we're at our most vulnerable the government creates barriers for us to get the services that we need mhm yeah, and it also makes me think of Puerto Rico um, and Hurricane Maria and then um, wherever, like, the most, I forgot the name of the most recent hurricane. I'm not sure if it's Hurricane Ian. It may have been the one before, but they, like, didn't have power. Mm-hmm. So, like, a, um, a whole year. For yeah. Them yeah. Power to Puerto Rico. Um, it's crazy. And, yeah, just, like, as horrendous as the local state national response is um to natural disasters that happen um on um uh like in the um what's it called like the main part of the eye of the, no. of the hurricane of the <laughs> <laughs> I don't even know what I'm trying to say, but <laughs> <laughs> but um, the response is just so much worse um, yeah. and non-existent with uh, people living in Puerto Rico. I always find it interesting how, like, when it comes to, like, Black people and, like, people of color trying to, like, get the aid, there's, like, all this, like, oh, they're just trying to, like, 
get over and they just looking for a handout. And mm-hmm. it's like, but y'all give it to the white people and they be the ones who don't actually need it. And like, because they have resources. <laughs> and it's like, I don't, y'all not worried about them abusing the money, even though we know that they be the main ones abusing the monies. Yeah, that's the way that white supremacy operates, though. It's it's whose life do you value? Mm. Uh, who are these funds really allocated for? Mm-hmm. Um, that's why someone like Brett Favre can, right? Um, you know, transfer essentially $5 million from one government need to his personal need and, and actually think that he did nothing wrong. Right. Um, because he feels that that money is for him. Um, and no, I knew good and damn well he was all. wrong because he sent a text message <laughs> talking about, I don't want to go to federal prison, LOL. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, he knew but, that there was. But risk, I hear you. But he, he certainly, he certainly, it didn't stop him from doing. It. Yeah, right. It didn't stop him, right? Because yeah. um, I'm white, I'll be okay. Yeah, he knew it was illegal. He didn't know. He didn't think necessarily it was wrong, mm-hmm. right? Morally wrong. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, yeah. I think right. you know there are a lot of black people doing this environmental justice work. Um, we need more black people sort of tuned into how our environments, our communities, our neighborhoods shape the way that our our health um, outcomes. A lot of this is not behavioral. It's not something that you can immediately change yourself um, by changing your behaviors. Our communities, our neighborhoods, our environments have a huge impact. Um, So, you know, plug in with your your local environmental justice org. Um, There's, and we can put some folks to follow um, in the chats, in the notes. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's not about low vibrational plates. <laughs> right. No. Please Eat stop more vegetables. The attack on soul food. Okay. Leave Anti- soul food alone. Black. Okay. <laughs> Collard greens yeah. ain't did nothing to nobody. Who y'all? I'm supposed to be like Shekinah crying. <laughs> <laughs> Leave it alone. Collard greens ain't did nothing to y'all. <laughs> nothing. Ooh, I can't wait for my Thanksgiving low vibrational plates. <laughs> right. Uh, so do we have anything upcoming we want to make folks aware of before we sign off today? Any events? I'm taking a break in South Africa for the rest of the year on events. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, listen, girl, you've been working hard out there. You deserve. Yeah. <laughs> uh, we'll be doing a Oracle Cancer Awareness Resource Distribution, partnering with the Gathering Spot. Uh, that'll happen December 8th. Yes. Um, so we'll be having uh, a great conversation um, around sort of race, racism, oracle cancer, but more importantly about what you can do um, to prevent oracle cancer from having a deadly or serious impact on yourself and your family. Um, and so come come out, learn more about screening, um, the importance of early detection, um, and also just to have some good vibes with some some Black folks at the Gathering Spot. This is the Gathering Spot in Atlanta? Yes. Okay. TGS members. <laughs> Up in LA, DC. We've been all over okay. TGS. Mm-hmm. Shout out to Ryan and TK. But okay, yeah, so that'll wrap up today's episode. Um, thanks so much for listening, everyone. And please don't forget to follow us on social media at Black Health at 
on everything, basically. Also on TikTok, I just posted our first TikTok. Oh, come on, oh, TikTok. Yeah. We're doing it. Yeah, it was um, it was a clip of our video podcast, but <laughs> hey, listen, <laughs> we're starting. You got something. Uh, Content. Yeah, and let us know if y'all have anything you want us to cover um, or any questions that we should answer. Um, as well as feel free to donate to Black Health. We are a 501c3 tax-exempt nonprofit organization. So if you want to give us money, you can, and then you can write it off in your taxes. That's how it works. Um, and we'll definitely put it to good use. Um, so yeah, thanks a lot. Um, and we will talk to y'all next time. Bye. Bye. Bye.